Salvete omnes, welcome to the AP Latin Podcast. The goal of this podcast will be to cover the lines from Caesar's De Bello Gallico and Virgil's Aeneid that are found on the AP Latin curriculum. Each two-part episode will cover a selection of lines from Caesar and Virgil. I will present the Latin and English of the text, providing relevant clarification, background, and cultural information that will help put the readings in their proper context. I encourage you to read along with me as you listen to the Latin and to use the English as a way to check your understanding rather than relying on the English for understanding. Each episode will conclude with some essential questions to consider as you process through the meaning of the text. Parati, eamos. AP Latin Podcast, Episode 18a, De Bello Gallico, Book 5, Chapters 42 and 43. In this episode, you will learn that real Romans don't look back at explosions and that the sinister triple dog dare doesn't work on Gauls. Ab hac spe repulsi nervii wallo pedum novem et fossa pedum quindecim hiberna kingunt. Haec et superiorum honorum consuetudine ab nobis cognoverant, et quos clam de exercitu habebant captivos, ab eis docebantur, sed nulla feramentorum copia quae eset ad hunc usum idonea gladiis caespites circum cidera, manibus sagulisque teram exhaurira videbantur. Qua quidem ex re hominum multitudo cognosci potuit, nam minus oris tribus milium pedum quindecim incercitum munitionem perficerunt, reliquisque diebus tures ad altitudinem vali, falces testudinesque, quas idem captivi docuerant, parare ac facere coeperunt. Septimo opugnationibus die, maximo quarto vento, Verwentes fusili ex argilla glandes fundis, et ferve facta iacula in casas, quae more gallico stramentis erant tectae, iacara coeperunt. Hai celeriter ignem comprehenderunt, et venti magnitudine in omnem locum castrorum distulerunt. Postes maximo clamore sicuti parta iam atque explorata victoria, Tures testudinesque agora, et scalis valum ascendera coeperunt. At tanta militum virtus, atque ea praesentia animi fuit, ut, cum undique flama torarentur, maximaque tellorum multitudine premarentur, suaque omnia impedimenta, atque omnes fortunas conflagrare intelegerent. Non modo demigranda causa de wallo decateret nemo, Sed paine ne respicaret quidam quisquam, actum omnes acerime fortissimeque pugnarent. Hic dies nostris longe gravissimus fuit, sed tamen hunc habuit eventum, ut eo die maximus numerus hostium vulneraretur, atque interficeretur, ut se sub ipso wallo constipaverant, recessum quae primis ultimi non dabant. Paulum quidem intermessa flama, et quodam loco turi ad acta, et contingente valum tertiae cohortis centuriones, ex eo quo stabant loco recesserunt, suosque omnes remoerunt, nutu vocibusque hostes, si introire velent vocare coeperunt, quorum progredi ausus est nemo, tum ex omni parte lapidibus conjectis deturbati, Turisque sucensa est. 
Having been pushed back from this hope, the Nervii encircle the winter camp with a rampart of 9 feet and a trench of 15 feet. These things they had learned from us by the usage of previous years, and they were taught by those whom they were secretly holding as captives from the army. But with no supply of iron tools which was suitable for this use, they seemed to cut the turf with swords, to dig out the earth with hands and cloaks. Indeed, from which thing the multitude of men was able to be learned. For in less than three hours they completed a fortification three miles in circumference. And on the remaining days they began to prepare and make towers to the height of the rampart, grappling hooks and movable sheds, which the same captives had taught them. On the seventh day of the siege, after a very large wind had arisen, they began to hurl from their slings red-hot bullets molded out of clay and heated javelins into the huts, which by Gallic custom were roofed with straw. These quickly caught fire, and the winds, because of their magnitude, spread it into every part of the camp. The enemy, with a very great shout, as if victory had already been gained and confirmed, began to drive the towers and movable sheds and to climb the rampart with ladders. But so great was the weirtus of our soldiers and the presence of mind, that, although they were being scorched by flame on all sides, and they were being pressed by the very large multitude of weapons, and they understood that all their baggage and all their fortunes were on fire, not only was no one departing from the rampart for the sake of withdrawing, but almost not even anyone looked back. And then everyone fought very fiercely and very bravely. This day was the most serious by far for our men. But nevertheless it had this outcome, that on that day the greatest number of the enemy was wounded and killed, as they had crowded together at the foot of the rampart itself, and the last were not giving a retreat to the first. Indeed, after the flame had been interrupted a little bit, and in a certain place, after a tower had been driven to and while it was touching the rampart, the centurions of the third cohort withdrew from that place where they were standing and removed all their own men. With a gesture and voices they began to call the enemy if they wanted to go in, of whom no one dared to go forward. Then they were displaced by stones thrown from all sides, and the tower was set on fire. So Quintus Cicero has delivered his response to the Nervii, that the Romans don't talk terms with an armed enemy. Since Ambiorix's strategy didn't work here like it did with Sabinus and Cata, the Gauls have to continue their siege on the winter camp. This section introduces you to a little more military vocabulary. You encounter the word tures again, now referring to movable siege towers that the Gauls construct to attack the Roman camp rather than the fixed towers on the rampart. And the new word you see is testudines, referring to movable covered sheds that soldiers can shelter under to make it to the rampart. I mentioned this idea in episode 16, but Caesar has begun to subtly shift perception of the Gauls towards something proto-Roman and that could be seen as a future benefit to Rome. Here, the Gauls undertake a massive siege work, implementing techniques and technologies that they learned from the Romans. What they lack in tools and technology they make up for in numbers and tenacity, and it is clear that they have the capability to make Roman-style warfare. In addition to siege machines, the Gauls have picked up some siege tactics as they take advantage of a windy day and thatched straw roofs. They throw heated bullets and javelins across the intervallum, and the thatched roofs quickly go up in flames. But Caesar makes a point to tell you that, despite all the chaos happening around them, none of Cicero's soldiers leaves the rampart or deserts his duty. This is intended to be a direct contrast with what happened with Sabinus and Cotta's soldiers, where the order is given to form a circle, but people deserted their places to grab their belongings from the baggage train. That Cicero's soldiers displayed this level of discipline reflects well on his leadership, 
and the Roman audience would have approved as the soldiers in this camp are acting the way that a Roman soldier should act. Caesar mentions how hard this day was for Cicero's men, but he immediately follows this statement with a scene meant to demonstrate how they never lost their morale. After the fight had been going on for a while, one of the Gallic siege towers makes it to the rampart. The soldiers of the third cohort, who were defending that area, back away from the tower and then start encouraging the Gauls to come inside the camp. Even after a week-long siege, in their toughest fight, the soldiers' morale and confidence is so high that they are taunting the enemy, and their audacity pays off as the Gauls hesitate to come in and the Romans are able to drive back and destroy the tower. This scene also interjects a little levity into a very tense situation, as you can't help but chuckle at the image of the Roman soldiers daring the Gauls to come inside. Time and again, Caesar has taken care to highlight the bravery of the common soldier, with the eagle-bearer of the 10th in the Book 4 beachhead landing, Balventius and Lucianus in Sabinus and Cotta's disaster, and Petrosidius the eagle-bearer after that battle. And he will continue doing so next time, as two individuals will step into the spotlight. As we close out the episode, here are some essential questions to consider. How does Caesar demonstrate that the Nervii are learning from the Romans? What about the Nervii building methods implied that their numbers were extremely large? What qualities do the Roman soldiers demonstrate that allowed them to survive the attack? How does the behavior and morale of Cicero's soldiers differ from those under Sabinus and Cotta? How does Caesar use the actions of the third cohort to interject levity into a very tense battle situation? How do the roles of fire and forces of nature in this narrative compare to their roles in Virgil? Gratias ago pro auscultando, valete.